Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Season 3 of the Wednesday Agri Hub Podcast. I'm David Howard, Head of Dairy Services for Wednesday. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the important relationship between health and nutrition, reviewing new developments and innovation to help farmers produce the highest quality dairy replacements for their herd. When rearing dairy replacements, the relationship between health and nutrition is very important from day one all the way up to calving, right through the first lactation and subsequent relationships thereafter. To explore this topic, I'm joined today by my colleague, Catherine Youngstock Manager, Millie Hindi, and Charlie Moss from Horizon Bay. So together, we'll give it an update of some of the latest developments. Good afternoon, I think it is, Millie and Charlie. Hi, David. Hello. Thanks for having me on. I always reference the date just in case people are listening to this in years to come. Uh, it is the 21st of June today at the time of recording. So it's the longest day of the year today, I believe. Just to give a little bit of context, we've had some quite very uncomfortable hot weather for the last couple of weeks. Uh, has that been causing any problems on farm, Charlie, from what you've seen in terms of heat, stress and calves? Have you been encountering that? Yeah, so we've seen that calves have definitely been struggling a little bit, but what's really encouraging to see is that I think continued messaging that's been coming out from different bodies has really encouraged people to make sure that they're putting plenty of like fresh water in, in front of calves and just highlighting how important it is to make sure that they've always got access to fresh fluids. So it's been a, a bit of a challenging time, but we've not seen too much in the way of adverse health effects, which has been really encouraging. Good. And fresh water from the first day, day zero. Sometimes uh, we notice that there's no fresh water. For, but we, we, do you recommend day one fresh water? Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it's shown that calves can drink quite happily a litre of water in the first day of life. Um, if you put it in front of them, just in a bucket, make it look appetising, nice and clean. So, yeah, definitely. Day one. Good. Super. And Millie, what about yourself? Have you any any seasonal issues you've been coming across with the hot weather in the last few weeks? Yeah, same as Charlie, really. It's nice to see people using an electrolyte feed as a, mm-hmm. a lunchtime feed. So that's definitely helping with the hot weather. Um, and I would just say the advancements in shed designs and ventilation, certainly not having the pressure that we have had previously. Yeah, it's the the buildings is a uh, ventilation and buildings is an important one. We probably are seeing a few more sort of like purpose built calf buildings, but you know the poor old calves that are often sort of put into the old milk and parlour, the corner of a shed where the ventilation might not be the the best. But really, in terms of ventilation, anything positive pressure ventilation is that something? Any, any system that we would recommend in particular? What are your thoughts on ventilating calf sheds? Yeah, I think it's um it's a really difficult one actually, David. Um, depending on the location and your actual shed design, there's definitely benefits to all. I would just be careful that the calves aren't having a draft on them, and it's all mm. about fresh air and air exchange. Air exchange, yeah, yeah. Thinking about nutrition, then, Millie, I'm gonna have, we're going to have to put you on the spotlight then with with this one. We've been recommending a concept, a new concept. I think you'd probably say in terms of feeding more milk is the message. So, how would you what what is the summary of the of the message and the concept with uh, with that one. Yeah, so feeding more milk, I like to phrase it as feeding to appetite. Mm-hmm. I think it can be defined anyway. We've certainly seen a lot of movement in the calf rearing industry. And I suppose when I started six years ago, four litres was a lot to feed calves. And then we've moved to six and now we are looking at eight, ten, almost mm-hmm. ad lib. I like to refer back to the, the queen 
bee and worker bee analogy. So obviously we're talking about genetics here. The queen and the worker bees are identical. They're exactly the same genetic clone. The only difference is that the queen bee is fed royal jelly and 10 times more compared to the worker bees. In turn, this has led her to have rapid growth. She's double the size of the worker bees. I think the other important bit to note on that, that she's got a longer lifespan, so three years versus two months. And then finally, her reproductive organs, I suppose it matures quicker and she ends up laying 2,000 eggs per day compared to the worker bees. So yeah, in terms of that and just that initial feeding program big difference massive so yeah it sounds funny talking about bees when you're talking about calves but i just think if you can yeah. remember that analogy then yeah, yeah let's start there but yeah there's so many benefits to feeding more milk obviously we can talk about calf performance we can talk about calf health later on in heifer lactation and obviously cow lactation there but um with charlie here we'll we'll discuss the health side a little bit more <laughs> and obviously performance comes in hand when you are feeding more milk I've not heard that analogy before. Is that not a Latin? (laughs) Is that epigenetic? Am I getting my Latin mixed up? Epigenetics, is that? Yeah, that's the one. Latin was not my strongest subject in school, unfortunately. Yeah, but I know I have heard that, that it's nutrition is giving you the difference with the same genetics. What about milk concentration of milk? Are we thinking more, you mentioned about litres of milk. Are we yeah. more concerned about kilograms of powder intake or our overall litres? What's the thinking on? Yeah, you know? I think it's um it's really important to speak to your your milk powder manufacturer. So if we look at whole milk, that's around twelve and a half percent dry matter. So that's why you will see a minimum recommendation of one hundred twenty five grams per litre. When we're talking about concentration, we recommend a max of one fifty mm-hmm. and encourage those litres purely because of osmolality between powders. Um, I can't speak for everyone, yeah. but I know that ours are are safely recommended at that level if you are feeding higher levels of milk you can obviously drop that concentration back a little bit mm-hmm. but i would still work on that overall grams per head per day so millie in terms of feeding more milk if you get any tips for farmers in terms of practical implementation because feeding eight ten liters as you said is quite a lot of volume so what are our tips for how to implement that type of feeding? I would really encourage if you're going to feed high litres, you need to get it in early enough. So if we're looking at four to six litres of colostrum and then we take them straight up to eight in the first week. I think if you're mm-hmm. not going to get the calves drinking eight litres within the first week, you're going to really struggle to get them up there and keep them on that feed curve for a while. I suppose the feeding frequency, I have no objection that a calf would not take four litres in a feed, if not five. I think on a cow, yes, they drink smaller feeds more often. But yeah, certainly achievable. And especially with the automatic feeders, obviously just making sure that that timing split is there, then we can get the feed into them that way. I would also encourage feeding out of teats. I think it would definitely be more successful than bucket fed systems. Obviously, they'll guzzle two litres straight away than just that natural sucking re- reflex I think would definitely be beneficial. Comes back to time and the feeds obviously just making sure that splits even and then final important top tip I would say is just your weaning curve it will require a longer weaning period so take them down over three weeks and make sure you've got that dry feed intake there along with fresh water straw etc. We have this debate Millie you and I have you, you often tell me I'm wrong in this area but I'm happy to be told I'm, I'm wrong. The way versus the skin sort of discussion then, sort of like yeah. we've got a range of a lot of different products. So what is the latest thinking weight? Is there a benefit to one or the other or is the result similar? Yeah, again, speaking on behalf of Wednesday, we've got skin powders, we've got whey powders, we've got 100% dairy protein powders. There are so many 
milk replacers on the market. So it is a minefield. And I would say that in terms of performance, there will be no difference. Obviously, it depends on everything else that's happening to that car, the environment, how it's fed, um, litres fed per day. Um, I just think it's important to note when you are choosing a milk replacer, look what else is in that powder. So you could have a a 50% skim powder, but the rest of that composition is not as good as perhaps a whey powder with a higher dairy protein content. So Mm. there's a lot to it. Um, A skin will form a clot for slow digestion, whereas a whey will be digested in the small intestine. So they are digested in two completely different ways, but it just depends on that manufacturing process um, and depending where they're getting that raw material. Charlie, do you have anything to add on that one? Yeah, it's a question that our clients quite often ask us. They'll present us with a list of powders and say, which would you go for? Which one is going to be better for the cars in the long run? And we find ourselves more and more frequently saying it, it doesn't really matter in terms of whether you go for a skim or a whey. It's it's more about looking actually and diving into what's on the label and how it's been made, getting it from a reputable manufacturer and then being consistent with it. I think something that can be quite easily overlooked that calves love consistency. So if we're reliably feeding the same concentration at the same time of day, at the same temperature, obviously we're going to alter the volumes at, at, at times depending depending on where we're up to in their life cycle. But I think consistency is key. So I I get less worried about whether we're going for uh, one or the other of the broader types of of powders. I'd rather that we pick a high quality product and um, not get too bogged down in that argument. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I guess, um, you know, the milk replacer with all the bells and whistles in it won't make up for a poorly ventilated building or wet beds or sort of like, you know, the straws not being changed regular enough. So Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Yeah. And in terms of, Charlie, in terms of like, I guess, thinking about the health side, what are the biggest challenges you're coming across? I guess the reasons that calves are in poor health, like what's the top two or three reasons then? Well, so much of disease that we see in farm is quite often just as a result of mismanagement and they're kind of avoidable problems. um, If we just take a little bit of time thinking about some of the processes that we have around managing calves and it's little things like just not thinking enough about like things around hygiene. Hygiene is something that I find myself constantly banging on about, but it's something that it's really simple to say, like putting the effort in and making sure that we think about our bedding are any equipment that we're putting in front of calves and they're coming into contact from the point that they hit the ground to like right through their lives. So many, particularly scours that we see, are just diseases of hygiene. And there's some really easy wins to be had in terms of reducing our disease rates just by having a bit more attention to detail. And quite often it it comes back to that there's just been some sort of communication issue on farm that quite often people will say, oh, you know, it wasn't me working at the weekend, so I don't know what's been going on. And actually, there's just been a bit of a breakdown in communication of the people that are managing the halves and actually just having clear communication, clear lines of of what needs to be done on farm is going to mean that we avoid those slip ups that then cause Mm. hygiene and, um, and it means that our calves don't suffer for it. So quite often when whenever we're dealing with any sort of disease outbreak on farm it quite often actually comes back to the people and discussing with them where things might have changed and once you start delving into that you can quite quickly sort of turn things around yeah i think you've made a good point in terms of it's really the animal is the problem is it it's the, the, absolutely yeah <laughs> and the importance i guess of standard operating procedures you know and everybody on the farm understanding what the you know, the standard operating procedure is, you know, whether it's colostrum management or so on. What about vaccination protocols? Is there anything, what would you recommend in terms of the key vaccination protocols or 
what are your thoughts? Yeah, so with anything that there's like a protocol on farm, it needs to be farm specific. So we need to look at what the farm's history is, what they're most at risk at. The obvious things that people will think about, particularly in young stock, it's going to be around pneumonia. So thinking about what we've sort of seen on farm historically. And then beyond that, it's it's thinking, is there a way that we can do things to make sure that the vaccines have the best possible chance of working? We want to be using them in a proactive manner, not in sort of a fire break response to um, disease if possible. So taking what we've got in terms of a, a history on farm and then applying it to different life stages of the calf based on challenges and pinch points in that system. So it's very hard to say, yes, this protocol will, will suit everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and it shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't just set it one day and, and be fixed for, you know, the next five years. It's something that we need to be constantly reviewing and, and talking about year on year. What about yourself, Millie? What are your thoughts in terms of disease prevention? I suppose is probably the rather than managing it, uh, preventing it. Your tips for tips for pre- prevention. I would agree with Charlie definitely on the protocols. I think more milk buyers are asking for them to see them clear protocols on farm that's easy to follow. I would also say overstocking. I've seen massive issues with overstocking, especially with block calving. So mm-hmm. is this something that can be avoided to then reduce that disease build up and that burden and pressure there? Again. Vaccinations are a really hard one for me. I think every every farm's very different. So as Charlie said, we can't do a blanket treatment for everyone. It's just ensuring that colostrum management's right. Charlie, what are your thoughts on prolonged colostrum feeding actually? I think it is quite often discussed in terms of the ability for the colostral antibodies to be absorbed. That sort of ability is reduced after 24 hours. But there's plenty of content that's come out that says that colostrum can have a positive effect locally in the gut in terms of extended feeding, providing that we are considering things like our potential disease transfer, things like yonis, and we take that into consideration. It is a really nutritious, high energy feed to be feeding and certainly we see, do see benefits from extended colostrum feeding. So yeah, the farms where they're able to execute it well, either by pasteurising the colostrum before feeding it or um, making sure that we're not pooling it extensively and potentially creating a yoni's risk. Yeah, I think there can be some, some real benefits to extended colostrum feeding. Yeah, no, I would agree. I just think in terms of those growth factors and those hormones there, there's a lot of research and work that are advocating it if we can put it on farm yeah, yeah. appropriately. Good. And just one last, I guess, question then, it uh, kind of touches on feed and some health and preventative approaches then as well. As a feed business, we get under, you know, we're always under the microscope for antibiotic use, probably more on poultry, to be fair, when, you know, the addition of like coccidiostat in, in poultry feed, are there replacements and so on, uh, natural alternatives. But have you got thoughts on, do we see a point in the future where, you know, blanket antibiotics in, um, in calf feed might be a thing of the past? It, wasn't that long ago it was commonplace in milk replace so you could put your chlorosol in but now it's uh, we're under a little bit more pressure so what are your thoughts on that one Charlie? I think it's really positive that as a company you're engaging in trying to be conscious about overuse of antibiotics and certainly we are moving away from that being commonplace and I think all industries um, not just limited to the dairy and beef industries we need to be moving towards avoiding blanket treatment in feed and a lot of that will come down to what changes can be made on farm, what preventatives can we have in place? What protocols can we have in place that mean that we don't actually need these things in feed anymore? What sure. can we do about biosecurity to prevent uh, biocontainment to try and make sure that we're not having these diseases on farm spreading significantly? It would be nice to see that we sort of phase it out completely. 
Will there be times when we might need to think about this if, if we've got significant disease outbreaks? Possibly. But yeah, I think it's everything that we can do on farm um, to manage a disease at a farm level is is going to be key. And yeah, hopefully we can move away from that. Yeah, because we're getting pressure, I guess, from your supply chain as well. You know, antimicrobial resistance is becoming um, is becoming an issue. So there's your know, depends who you sell your milk to. They might look for you to reduce your you know, antibiotic use or a reduction of antibiotic use is something that's sort of built into some, you know, to some milk contracts. So it's definitely on the on the horizon. Millie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot to be done in the calf gut health as well. Obviously, there's a lot of health packages flying around within milk replacers and starter feeds. So it's just really looking into them and see if they can link and, and build on that gut health as a, a preventative measure, as, as long with hygiene and early nutrition. Good. Well, time is up. We've covered a huge amount in a short space of time. Thank you both for your thoughts. I think we can all agree there's a lot of new developments in the calf and young staff arena, which can support the industry in rearing high quality dairy replacements. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. In the meantime, if you'd like any advice on calf and young staff management, visit the Wednesday website where you can find out more and get in touch with the team. Until then, it's goodbye from us all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.